All right, so glad to have you with us today. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us. As we're starting to kind of gather in and get ready for worship, uh, I want to start us off with a little bit of time of prayer. Um, we want to pray uh, a couple of things. One, um, we've got about 40 or 50 of our ladies gone this weekend for a women's retreat. So if you see children walking around with clothes that do not match and, and hair that is not brushed, that's why. Just be thankful that they are here. Uh, and so uh, I, I stand as one of those dads who we're just, we're just thankful that we made it today. We just, we just made it. We're here. But we want to take a second and pray for those ladies as they're finishing up and heading home here in just a little bit. Uh, but we're so glad that you're here worshiping the Lord together. So bow your heads for me. I want to open us up in a little time of prayer and let's seek the Lord together. God, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, God, for your grace, your love, your mercy. We pray, God, for our ladies, God, as they're off this weekend. We, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done there this weekend and that you're going to continue to do. We pray, God, uh, for their safety as they travel back home today. But, Lord, I pray, God, for us here right now. Lord God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that we never have to ask you to show up. You're already here. I pray, God, that we would just seek to engage with you that we would pursue you in our own hearts right here, right now, and that we would see you speak to us and do wonderful, amazing things in us right here today. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Do this great work in your people. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand together. Let's worship. Yes. All right, good morning, church. I want to invite you to sing with us. Who the sun sets free has been set free indeed. We can marvel at the work of Christ. He is worthy to be praised. We've been set free. Let's sing that truth today. Through you the blind will see. Through you the mute will see. Through you the dead will Sing it out to the Lord. 
Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find the book of James together. All right. James chapter 4. James 4. So again, if you, uh, if you came in uh, later, if you're a guest with us, again, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us today as we're worshiping the Lord together. So we're working our way through the book of James. That's what we've been doing for a couple of months now, and we find ourselves in chapter 4. So I've been going through James, 
If you've been here for long, you know the big idea that we're pushing for the book of James is a faith that saves you will also change you, right? So this is the big push of James. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've trusted by faith in him, that now does something, right? Something about you changes. Something about you is now significantly different and altered. You live differently than the rest of the world. You live differently than you used to live, and you live differently than the people who don't know Christ, right? You're different. So what James is getting at is two things. One, James is writing to a group of Christians who are followers of Christ, but there are some aspects of their life that, if we're honest, they're not fully living out who they really are in Jesus. Right? They're still dabbling with some things in the world. They still have some issues, some struggles, some pride, some jealousy, some sin that's not being confessed. They still have those things. So James is pushing in on that and going, brothers and sisters, this should not be so. And then he's also helping us see that if we're consistently living that kind of life, maybe we've never come to faith in Christ in the first place. And that's kind of what we're seeking to drive home here. As we look through the book of James, we're looking and seeing, look, if we're honest, there are some, some, some big ideas of life, some big things in life that we need to address and jump into that should be impacted and changed because of who we are in Jesus. But sometimes they don't always work out like that. So we're just, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're nothing if we're not honest. So we're just jumping straight forward into it and saying, okay, look, here's an issue, here's an issue, here's an issue. How do we deal with this? All right, so today what we're going to be jumping into and looking at is... How does our faith in Jesus Christ impact relational conflict? When we have struggle and strife and issue with someone else, how does our relationship with Christ impact that? Right? The one thing I love about James is like, he doesn't talk about these, these, these things out there where you sort of have to try your best to put yourself in those shoes. Like he jumps straight into it, right? He's like, so what happens when you face trials? What happens when you're tempted to sin? What happens when you just can't shut your mouth? And then today, he's like, so hypothetically, just throwing it out there. Because I know this isn't you. But let's just, for kicks and giggles, let's assume you as a human having some kind of strife and issue with another human. Assume that might happen. How do we as Christians address that? How do we deal with that? What do we do with that? So, today is going to make you two promises today. Number one, today might sting a little. Uh, if you've been with us in James, you're like, nada. And second, though, today is going to be super practical. We're really going to kind of pull the curtain back in our own hearts and go, okay, so that's, that's really the issue. Let's, let's make an effort grace-driven effort to pursue Christ there and see God deal with me in my own heart with that so I can see some relationships get straightened out. So that's our goal today. Our goal today is by God's grace we walk out of here uh, fully empowered to really see ourselves walk uh, in some real grace-driven, uh, soaked, empowered relationships. So here's what we're going to do. As we go through our scripture today, in James chapter 4, we're going to do the first 12 verses. I'm going to go ahead and give you the outline, all right? So you can kind of write that down if you want. If you have a, a phone, if you can download our Southview Baptist Church app, we have all sermon notes on that. And so if you'd like to ever do that, you can do that. You can follow along and keep notes and track them and save them and send them to yourself and all those sorts of things. Uh, if you'd like to do that, you can. Just download the Southview app and pull up the sermon notes. But our outline for today is going to be this. Number one, the problem. We're going to see what the problem really is. Number two, what the answer is. And number three, how do we apply it? Right? So nothing if we're not practical. Right? We're going to see what the problem is. 
We're going to see what the answer is, and we're going to see how we apply it. All right? So let's jump in together and go for it. First is this. James chapter 4, verse 1. The problem is you. Oh, love it. Love it. Verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Great question, right? This is, this is super practical. So what's the deal? What causes this? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So, uh, I read out of the English Standard Version. People ask me that a lot. What version of the Bible do you use? I read the ESV. That's what I read out of, I preach out of, the ESV. But if you have the King James Version, a lot of us grew up in King James, it says wars and fightings, right? But the ESV is going to call it quarrels and fights. So those two words are interesting. The word quarrel means this long protracted war, and the word fight means kind of these little battles and skirmishes within the war, right? And so you've got, we understand just in a, in a military history comp, uh, uh, context, right, you have the big war, Right, the World War II, right? right? You have the big protracted war, and then you have these little battles within the war, right? So he's saying, what causes the whole thing, right? It's all under one big umbrella. What causes all of this? What causes the lifelong, decades-long strife and conflict you have with an individual? And then also, what causes those little battles and skirmishes that pop up between you two? Does that make sense? The big things and the little things. The long things and the short things. The stuff that impact your entire life and the things that just mess up a weekend. Right? All of that, what causes all of that is your passions that are at war against you or within you. The word passion means just desire for pleasure. Right? Something that you want. Something that's stirring up in you. You desire it, you want it, you pursue it. And the word war is really cool. Uh, that second war there in verse 1. It's different than that first, ver- uh, first word. The word war there when it says, is it not your passions at war within you? This is where we get our English word strategy. Right? So it's, it, it's basically saying it's like this strategic military campaign. Your internal sinful desires are strategically trying to take over your life. The real source of tension between you and someone else actually comes from within you. It's actually in you. And he keeps on going in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Right? So you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You're like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. I'm not killing anybody. Well, I would bring you back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The idea he's trying to get at is this. You crave something that's not rightfully yours. You desire something to happen in a certain way. You're mad that they're not doing what you want them to do or the way you want them to do it. You're upset about that. So you blow up everyone and everything around you. It's in essence heart murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You desire something so much. You want it so bad that you just can't let it go. So you keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. What I want you to see is at the end of the day, what causes quarrels and what causes fights, what causes tensions and what causes difficulty, whether in a church setting 
Because the main context here in James chapter 4 is within a church. Right? So what causes conflict within a church? The issue is you. What causes conflict in a marriage? The issue is you. What causes conflict in a, in a family at large or in a community setting or at work? Well, the answer is you. Now, this doesn't mean that you are responsible for all the issues that that other person might have. Because they got issues too, right? And that's not your fault. It could very well be that that person in church that you have strife with is truly an arrogant, self-righteous person. It could be that your husband is legitimately a jerk. It could be that your wife is absolutely obsessed with bitterness. It could be that your boss is truly horrible. This isn't saying that it's all your fault. This isn't saying that their issues are now your problem. This isn't even say, you ever have about this? You ever been caught in a conflict that you legitimately did nothing wrong and you don't even know how you got in the middle of it? Right? You're looking around going, how in the world? Like, I'm just standing here drinking my coffee. Next thing I know, boom. Right? Those things happen. So it isn't saying that it's everything is your fault. But what James is trying to get at is this, and here's a very important point. Let's be honest. Here's what he's trying to, to kind of counteract. Our natural default mode is to look at them and not me. Right? Well, if they would just change. Well, if they would just be different. If he would just stop doing that. If she would just quit doing that. If they would just start doing this. If just this would happen. If they would just listen to me. If they would just stop putting down me. What he's trying to get at in James 4 is our immediate response is usually them and he's trying to get us to look back at us the biggest person to cause problems in your life is you the biggest obstacle i have in spiritual growth is me and so what James is trying to help us understand is, look, what you need to get is, at the end of the day, the problem is you. And, and not only does it mess up relationships with you and other people, your sinful passions, your desires also messes up your relationship with God. Look at verse 2 again. So the second part of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. So whenever we have these internal passions, these internal desires, these pushes for us, it stops us from going to God, right? Verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. If you're seeking selfish things, you're not going to go to God. You're looking for the answers in yourself. You're looking for the answers in this world. You're looking for the answers from other people. What? Whenever you're seeking these sinful desires, whenever you're allowing these sinful desires to, to be your, the catalyst that pushes you, it stops you from ever going to God. You do not have because you stop asking. You stop pursuing God. And then verse 3, the things you do ask for you're not going to get because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own desires. The word spend means to waste or squander. God doesn't give you what you're asking for because he knows you're just going to waste it pursuing your own sinful stuff somewhere. He knows the desires that are pushing that are actually not a desire for him. 
You ever prayed something that on the surface sounded good, but if you're honest, the heart behind it wasn't that great? What he's saying here is, when we have these sinful desires welling up inside of us, when we're keeping our heart unchecked, when we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to pursue us and seek us and know us and convict us and draw us out of sin and to greater holiness, it will completely destroy our relationship with God and with other people. We have to start by looking at us. And in case you think these sinful desires aren't a big deal, right? Not a big deal. Everyone sins. Everyone struggles. Everyone has stuff. Everyone, it's not that big of a deal. Verse 4. God is going to show you how big of a deal this is. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Track with this. God equates sin to spiritual adultery and being an enemy of God. This is a big deal. This is not something that's flippant, not something that's that just can be swept under the rug. Right? This is spiritual adultery. This is stepping out on God. This is making God your enemy. You cannot say that you're a friend of God and a friend of this world. You cannot say that you're committed to God and flirt with this world. You can't do both. And then verse 5. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirits that he has made to dwell in us? He's continuing on in this marriage adultery analogy, right? And God repeatedly refers to himself all throughout the scriptures as a jealous husband. And here's the point. God killed his son. God killed his son in order to have a special intimate, eternal relationship with you. And now you're stepping out on him and hooking up with the world. That's what he's trying to get at. How big of a deal is this? God slaughtered his son so that he can have an intimate relationship with you. And now you're just stepping out on him and hooking up with somebody else. It's that big of a deal. The big push that I want us to see in these first five verses is we've got to be serious about our own hearts. Every bathroom in this building has a mirror in it. For the invitation, some of you need to go out and look in one to find what your real problem is. It's you. You spend so much time and so much energy and so much effort trying to figure out how it's not you and it's them. And all it's doing is causing you to dig a bigger hole and a bigger hole and a bigger hole. So we see here that our problem is us. My biggest problem is me and I want you to feel the weight of this. This is why self help is so stupid. Because if I'm my biggest problem, how am I going to get myself out of the problem? If you're hooked up in self help ideology and thought processes and all this sort, and, and, and you're doing all this stuff, go home and burn that crap. It isn't going to help you. 
You are your biggest problem. How in God's name are you going to get yourself out of the hole? You're the only one holding the shovel, bro. You can't fix you. This is the point. You can't fix you. And, in, and, and until we look at our hearts, until we really examine that, until we really take a hard look and are willing to do that, all we're going to do is keep fracturing relationships and growing farther away from God. But then we get verse 6. I love this. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. This is the answer. The answer is God's grace. The word more there is the Greek word megas. It's where we get our word megas. Huge, mega, great, amazing. What he's saying is this. God gives great grace, greater grace, abundant grace. Greater than what? Greater than everything. Greater, grace greater than your sin. Grace greater than your desires. Grace greater than your broken relationships. Grace greater than the years of baggage that you've been carrying around with you. God's grace is greater. Romans 5 says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. What that means is this. The one area of your life where you feel like sin is so great and so huge and so overwhelming and so impossible to defeat... God's grace is even bigger. This is the answer. The reason that we have to feel the weight of me being the issue so heavily is so that we can finally rejoice over the answer that God's grace is greater. And this is why I always tell you every issue is a gospel issue. When you understand, as you grow, as you soak up how great God's grace is on you, you're drawn, you are sucked into a relationship with him. And as a result of that, as more and more and more of God's grace is poured onto you, you're going to be able to now pour more and more and more grace onto the people around you, and your relationships get healed up. The key to you reconciling in your relationships is you growing in your understanding of God's grace on you. As you see and understand God's gift of grace on you, you are driven to now live differently. I heard a really cool story. Uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell, the founder of uh, Liberty University. Uh, So Many, many years ago, decades ago, Dr. Falwell was sitting in his office at home, and out of nowhere, um, he heard glass break in his house. Um, and, uh, and, and he's um, always been uh, someone that had a lot of controversy around him, and so people were always trying to mess with him and his home and his family, and so he's like, oh no, what's happening now? So he walks into his living room and finds a baseball on the living room floor. And about that time, there's a knock on the door. Dr. Falwell walks up to the door and opens the door, and there's this little 10-year-old boy standing in front of him, just tears rolling down his cheeks in that, uh, oh, no, I'm going to die look. Like, sir, I'm really, really, really sorry. I, I, I accidentally hit a baseball, and it went through your window, and I'm really sorry. I'll work it off. I'll fix it. I'm really, really, really sorry. At that point, Dr. Falwell turned around and walked back into his office, grabbed a pen, and wrote on the baseball, uh, full four-year scholarship to Liberty University. 
then walked to the door, handed it to the little boy, and said, go show that to your mom and dad and have a good day. Why do we know that story 35 years later? Because that family experienced such an unbelievable act of undeserved grace, they've refused to stop talking about it. They tell everybody. They've got in their home a picture, uh, uh, their son's diploma and the baseball underneath it. And everybody that walks in, like, what's up with that? Like, oh, I got to tell you the story. There's this and this. They were so overwhelmed by the grace shown to them that it completely changed everything. And in an infinitely greater way, as we understand God's amazing grace showered on to us, it changes everything. We're different now. The answer is God's grace showered on to you when it was not deserved. So the problem is us. The answer is God's grace. So let's do this now. How do we go after that? How do we pursue God's grace? How do we grow in the grace of God? How do we put ourselves in a position to receive the grace of God? So let's see that. We're going to see that. Second half of verse 6, the application. First is this. We've got to reject pride and be humble. So verse 6 starts with that line, but it gives more grace. But then it finishes with this. Therefore, it says, and he's going to quote Proverbs 3 here. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Where does grace come from? It comes from God. Who does God give grace to? The humble. In fact, as you look at that verse, when it says God opposes the proud, the word oppose there is actually a military term that means to war against. God is not ambivalent about pride. He goes to war against it. God does not sit idly by to arrogance. He actively opposes it in warlike fashion. God hates Pride. Pride is at the very heart of all rebellion against God. Lucifer, he rebelled against God because of pride. And the same is true for us. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is the key that unlocks the grace of God in your life. Humility. So what is humility? Well, let's 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 kind of Compare and contrast pride and humility. Pride says, I've got this. I can fix this. I can do this. I can handle this. I don't need help. I don't need God. I know what I'm doing. Humility on the flip side says, I don't have this. I can't fix this. I can't handle this. I need help. I need God. I don't know what I'm doing here. Humility is realizing our desperate need for the grace of God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God desires to pour a waterfall of grace into your heart, a grace that empowers your relationship with him and empowers your relationship with others. But you must first stop thinking you don't need it. You must first stop thinking the problem is everyone else. You must humbly fall on your face before God and say, I forget them. Truly, you've got to get to the point. We, we sit down for counseling. 
for married couples. And I'll sit down with them, and a lot of times I'll, we'll do together and we'll do some separate. And when we do separate uh, uh, counseling uh, with the husband and the wife, I typically would look at both of them and say something along the lines of this. If they never change, if they never change anything, are you still willing to pursue God for everything he has for you? Are you still willing to stay faithful? Are you still willing to stay put? Are you still willing to seek God in faithfulness, even if they don't change anything? Uh, some people are honest and say no. Most say yes, and half of them are lying. But that's a great question. It's not about them. It's about you. Not saying they don't have issues. Not saying they don't have significant sin that they need to repent of. Not saying that they aren't causing huge problems in your life. But are you willing to say, set them aside. God, I need you to search me. I need you to convict me. I need you to search my heart. I need you to pull these things out of my heart. I need to grow in grace. That's humility. And those are the ones whom God is going to give, pride, uh, uh, give grace to. So then how do we do this? Let me give you a couple more things. Verse 7. You've got to choose your master. So look at verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So these three commands, submit, resist, and draw near, they kind of work together in unison. Uh, submit means to place yourself under the authority of someone. To resist means to stand against something or someone and oppose it. And to draw near means to join together almost as one. Like you're hooking yourself up to someone almost as, as in making yourself one with them. Right? So what he's saying here is this. The way you resist the devil is by submitting and drawing near to God. Right? We, we keep... Thinking about, you know, resisting the devil and, and, and turning from the devil and rebuking the devil. Here's how you do that. You turn to God. Right? We, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, has a great line in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, the hum Humans have uh, two uh, equal but opposite wrong ideas when it comes to the demons. Right? We either completely neglect them and think that they don't exist and, and pay no attention to them whatsoever, or we basically see a demon behind every bush. He's like, no, 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 no. They exist and they are real. There is a demonic power and they seek to destroy, seek, kill, and destroy. However, the point isn't to be obsessed with them. How you resist Satan is by submitting to God and drawing near to him. You can only go one of two directions. Either you go towards Satan or you go to God, right? It doesn't, you can't walk both ways at the same time. How you resist Satan is by submitting and drawing near to God. As you submit to God and draw near to God, you're going to be empowered to now walk out gospel relationships. You're going to be sh able to show grace in the midst of these situations. In verse 8, he gives such an amazing promise there. Look at that in verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We cannot possibly, I love this, we cannot possibly desire a relationship with God more than he desires a relationship with us. Isn't that awesome? You, as much as you think you want a relationship with God, God desires one with, with you infinitely more. 
And he promises, you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. This reminds me of the prodigal son story, if you know this, in Luke 15. The prodigal son runs from the dad, uh, eventually comes to the point where he needs to come home. And as he's coming home, if you know the story, as he's coming home, the dad sees him from a long way off, gets up and goes running after him. As that son was drawing near, the father sprinted to him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God is not as far away from you as you think he is. He's not as far away from you as he might feel. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And that is how you're going to resist Satan. The second thing is this. we got to get serious about our sin. Look at 8b. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I mean, he gets serious. I mean, look at this. Cleanse your hands. The word cleanse comes, uh, originally that word was used for Levitical priests that would cleanse their hands before they went to offer the sacrifice. And he's saying, similarly for us, we got to cleanse our hands. What that means is, get the sin off your hands. Right? He's, in essence, he's saying, quit doing it. Right? Cleanse your hands. Stop sinning. Cleanse, wash, purify yourself. Step away from that junk. It's serious. It matters. It means something. It is adultery against God. It's choosing the world and enmity towards God. Like it's a big deal. And then he goes even farther. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So purify goes to a deeper level. So not just cleanse your hands, but purify your hearts. This is a consistent theme that we see throughout the book of James, throughout all the Gospels. Jesus is infinitely more concerned about your heart than your hands. If your heart is pure, your hands will follow. This is what messes us up. Listen to be super quick. Christians, whenever we have a sin in our life, We always try to figure out some way to get the sin off of our hands. But we don't ever address the heart. When we looked at the tongue, what did we see? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The issue is your heart, not your tongue. Same thing with all sin he's telling us here. The issue isn't so much your hands, it's your heart. We try so hard to stop doing bad things, but we don't ever seek out God to purify our hearts. And so eventually it just comes back out again. Maybe in a different way. Maybe it manifests in a different tone. But the issue is to purify our hearts. And I love what he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. That word double-minded means someone who can't make up their mind. This is someone who cleanses the outside to look a certain way, but never actually purifies their hearts to actually make them a different way. And as a result, they waver back and forth. And again, if you've been... a Again, I tell you all the time, I, I know church is no place to be honest, but let's give it a shot. If you've been a Christian for long, you know what we're talking about here. There have been sins in your life that you legitimately knew were sin, and you legitimately wanted to quit. All right? You weren't playing this game of, you know, no, I don't care, and I'm going to keep doing it, and blah, blah, blah. Like, you, you were serious. 
And so you commit. You're like, okay, I'm never doing it again. I'm never doing it again. I'm never doing it again. And, and maybe you didn't for a little while. Maybe it was a day. Maybe it was a week. Maybe it was a month. Maybe it was years. You didn't for a little while. And then, boom, that thing happened again. And, and, and you're heartbroken because when you said no, you genuinely meant it. But it, it came up again. Why is that? James is going to say because you focus on the hands but not the hearts. You still remained double-minded. You stopped doing the thing. You blocked those websites on your computer. You broke up with that jerk. You stopped hanging out with those guys after work. Like you quit the thing. You did that. But did you seek the Lord to purify your heart? And that's where he's taken us. You've got to get serious about sin by not only just cleansing the hands, but seeking to purify the heart. Uh, then he keeps on going, verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. He's talking here about taking your sin seriously. The word wretched is the same word used in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, when the apostle Paul says, O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. He's crying out, the apostle Paul, and realizing in deep awareness of his sin and how it affects him and God and other people. Right? He's broken over it. Mourn and weep. This means express sincere, genuine grief. We had a conversation about this in our journey group this week, about being serious about your sin. It's a big deal. It matters. We should grieve over that. When we sin, when we step out on God, when we choose friendship with the world and enmity towards God, that should make us genuinely heartbroken. We should Feel something over that. He tells us here, weep and mourn. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Sin is nothing to laugh at. It's just not funny. It's not cute. It, 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 it's not something for us to, to make light of. It's like, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. When we see sin in our heart, when we see sin in the hearts of other people, we should be heartbroken. We should be devastated. We should be sad over this. It makes us sad. He's telling us here to be serious about our sin. The reason so many relationships in our life are broken is because we're not serious about the sin that's in our own heart. We just are used to it. The reason that we sense a distance between us and God is because there's sin in our lives and we're just, we're, we're, we're just not serious about it. We just don't take it seriously. He said, look, take it serious. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought the gospel was good news. It is good news. It is. But in order for us to experience the goodness of God, we must understand the severity of sin. We must understand how big of a deal it is. 
Look, your worry and anxiety and depression and gossip and foul mouth and adultery and sexual morality and fill in the blank, that stuff was so serious, Jesus had to die. God had to crush his own son so that he can save you. It's a big deal. And what he's telling us here is this. The reason you're not experiencing the fullness of life in Christ is because you don't understand the severity of what Jesus saved you from. See how serious it was. And God's grace is so amazing, so powerful, so unbelievable, so great, so magos, so huge that he could save you even from that. And that is what then allows us to be filled with joy. Because God's grace is so amazing. And then last, verse 10. Walk humbly with God and trust Him. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So we started with humility. We kind of end here with humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves under the presence of God. God is holy and pure, and we must understand that we are not. And so we humble ourselves before him. To humble yourself before the Lord means to have a right understanding of who he is and who we are. And so we put ourselves in the right place and put him in the right place. We humble ourselves before the presence of God, trusting that at the right time, he will exalt us. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily physically here on earth, like you're going to get some kind of great physical blessing here. He's speaking spiritually. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will fill you with grace. He will empower you for holiness. He will, he will use you to be a blessing to, to other people. He will use you to bear out spiritual fruit in your life and so that others can experience the goodness of that as well. God will exalt you and lift you up, but you first must humble yourself. Humble yourself. And then you get the last two verses, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against anyone, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So what he's getting at here is this. This understanding again, that when you understand who you rightly are in Christ, it changes the way you interact with other people. When you speak ill of other people, you place yourself in the position of God. You place yourself in the position to determine proper judgment for what that person should be. And he's saying, no, no, no. Understand who you are and who God is and the grace that's been shown to you. And as you see the grace that's been shown to you, you're now empowered to show grace to I'm going to ask our band to come up. And, and, and as they're coming up, I want to read one more scripture to you. It's found in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50. So, if you're familiar with the story, you got a guy in the book of Genesis named Joseph. So, Joseph um, had these brothers, and God was giving Joseph these dreams. These dreams about what his future was going to look like. It, 
And as he said these dreams, he'd proclaim these dreams to everyone. His brothers got really jealous about it. And so if you know the story, what happened? His brothers grabbed him and threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. And then as he's in slavery, uh, this woman, Potiphar's wife, accuses him of, of uh, falsely of rape. And he's thrown in jail. And all these horrible things happen to him. But then eventually, he is lifted up and exalted out of that. He's placed in this position of authority over all of Egypt. One of the most powerful men in all of the world. And then a famine comes, and his family has to come to him to get food. And he shows grace to them and gives them that food. And brings them in and takes care of them and loves them and provides for them. But then their father dies, and their brothers are very scared because, they say, oh no, dad is dead. And now that dad is dead, Joseph is going to take out vengeance on us. And look what happens, Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. They're totally lying. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, listen to this, Do not fear, for am I in in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I want you to see in this. um, Was it Joseph's fault that his brothers threw him in a well and sold him into slavery? No. Was it Joseph's fault that this woman, Potiphar's wife, lied about him and had him thrown in jail? No. He did nothing wrong in any of that. He was totally righteous in all of that. But sins were committed against him by other people. But I want you to see the important thing is how Joseph responded. When he had the power to crush his brothers for what they did for him, what did he do? First, he realized, I'm not God. I can't judge you. God will take care of that. God will do whatever he needs to do. I'm not him. So he took himself out of the position of God. Then he showed an amazing amount of trust in the sovereignty of God. Look again what he said there in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. How are we going to walk forward in a godly gospel way with these relationships in our lives? By understanding how much we can trust God. Understanding the sovereignty of God. Understanding that I'm not in the place of God. Understanding that God has shown me grace, therefore I'm going to show you grace. God has forgiven me, so I'm going to forgive you. God has not given me what I deserve, so I'm not going to give you what you deserve. It cracks me up when people are like, you know, God needs to give them what they deserve. 
very careful for that. Because if God gave you what you deserve, you would be a fried crispy tater tot right now. We all deserve judgment forever in hell. We all deserve that. We've all sinned grievously against God and deserve that kind of punishment. But through faith in Christ, God showed grace to you. And now through faith in Christ, you are going to show grace to others. What causes quarrels and conflict is our pride and our ego and our own desires and trying to defend ourselves and push ourselves and protect ourselves and make sure people don't understand where we stand. What blesses and heals relationships humility that unlocks the waterfall of God's grace on your life yes you sinned against me but I am definitely not without sin God showed me grace so I'm going to show you grace yes you tried to hurt me but there have been situations where I've tried to hurt other people too. And God showed me grace. So I'm going to show you grace. This is the answer. So for us here this morning, as we end our time and our band is going to lead us, we're going to send one more song together in worship. I want to encourage you this morning. Set your heart on the grace of God that's been poured out on you. Set your heart on the grace of God that's been lavished on you. And as a result of that grace, be serious about the sin that's in your heart. Because so much grace has been poured on you, you don't want sin. Because so much grace is on you, you don't want to walk away from God. Because so much grace has been on you, you don't want to have dirty hands and an unpurified heart. You don't want that. You want to be serious about the things of God. Because God's grace has been so great. And you want to show that grace to others. Because God has shown it to you. So this morning, take some time. Set your heart on the grace of God that has redeemed you and set you free. And ask Him to use that to empower you to show that grace to others. And to walk out the purity and holiness that He has created to put in you through faith in Christ. Jesus, do this in us. For your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.
Amen. Hey, do me a favor. Have a seat for me just for a second. Um, got a couple of quick things we want to do as we wrap up our time here. First is uh, I want to introduce you to some folk that have gone through our new member process and uh, are going to come today to join with us today in membership. Uh, Mr. Carl, can you, can you join us up here? So this is Carl Forrester, Mr. Carl. I had the opportunity of baptizing Mr. Carl a few weeks ago. And uh, he is coming today to uh, officially join us in membership. And so if you are excited about Mr. Carl uh, coming today and being a part of our congregation and, and just being such a blessing and serving us, just let him know and us know by just saying amen. 
Amen. So excited about that. You're welcome to sit back down. All right. A uh, couple more, uh, ladies. Uh, Michelle. Michelle Galvez. Michelle. Come on down, Michelle. Uh, Violetta, you come on also. All right. So this is Michelle Galvez and Violetta Ramirez coming today to join us as well. Likewise, had the privilege of baptizing these ladies and so excited for them coming today. Uh, going through our membership process, we do that um, about once a quarter. Uh, where it's a three-week process where you go through classes for a few weeks and then we just sit down and spend a little time with you and hear your story and what Christ has done in your life and how he's brought you here. And so these ladies have gone through that and they're coming today to uh, become members of our church as well. So again, if you're excited for these ladies coming and being a part, we just let Michelle and Violetta know that by saying amen. Amen. Very, very excited about that. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Here, you can have a seat there also. Fantastic, fantastic. A uh, couple more quick things. One, um, if you're a guest with us, again, just welcome. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we'd love for you uh, to, uh, at the end of the service, a couple of things. Either come by and say hi to me. I'm going to be down front here. Also, you can grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, uh, 910-424-1298. Text CONNECT so we can know who you are. We'd love to do that. And then uh, for everyone, we've got three big announcements that we want everyone to know. Three things that are going on here this week uh, at Southview for you to be a part of. First is this. Men's Retreat, October 21st and 23rd. Ladies are coming from theirs today. Guys are going to have theirs in October. Guys, you want to sign up for that? Text the word RETREAT. We'll get you signed up for that. Announcement number two. Vacation Bible School is coming on us quickly. Um, we need volunteers. If you would like to volunteer for that, you can text the word volunteer uh, to our number, 910-424-1298. Sign up for that. Volunteer. We need everyone. If you've served in that capacity before or not, does not matter. We'd love to, to have you help and serve. We'll teach you. We'll train you. We'll tell you everything you need to do. We'd love for you to do that. And also... Uh, Threads of Love, this is our ministry in connection with, conjunction with our missions ministry uh, where they make quilts for uh, the uh, Agape Pregnancy Center. Uh, and so prayer quilts to give to uh, expectant moms. And so if you're interested in that, if you quilt or you'd like to learn how to quilt, you can just text that word quilt uh, to that number. And uh, we've got a wonderful group of ladies that would uh, love to help you do that, learn how to do that, and be a part of that. Uh, and then for all other announcements, you can download our church app, Southview Baptist Church. For everything else uh, on that app, you're going to be able to give. You can give online or at our giving boxes, whatever works best for you. We'd love for you to do that. Uh, one more quick thing before we get out of here. Eddie, come on up. Uh, this is Eddie Rouse. Eddie, um, one of our deacons here at Southview. Uh, just a great, great, great man of the Lord. Just does so many awesome things around here. Uh, I want to bring him up and pray with him just for a second because uh, tomorrow he's actually flying out. Um, he's heading to the Ukrainian-Hungarian border with uh, um, North Carolina Baptist uh, to help in humanitarian relief efforts there. Uh, last I heard last night, they have like 1.4 million uh, refugees that are fleeing Ukraine into various countries. One of those 
bordering countries in Hungary. We have a partnership there in Hungary um, with North Carolina Baptist, and we've done several trips there. We've got some connections there. And so through that, uh, um, Eddie is going to have an opportunity to go tomorrow to do that. So we want to pray for him. One, for safety, obviously, and then second of all, that God uses him greatly to be an impact for the kingdom of God. All right, so let's lift uh, Eddie up, all right? So, Lord, I just thank you for Eddie. I thank you, God, for his willingness to go and say yes. I pray, God, that this is an example for all of us, God, to be willing to always keep our yes on the table because you never know when you're going to get a random email asking if this is something you'd be interested in. And so we want to always be ready to say yes. So I pray, God, that that is true of us. And I thank you, God, that when that opportunity arose, Eddie was willing to say yes. And I pray, God, that you would use him. God, we obviously pray for his safety, but I pray, God, also that as he goes, that you'll allow him, God, empower him to just be a great impact for the kingdom, to love and minister and serve in your name, Jesus, and see you do a great work. We ask you, Lord God, that you would do this for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We love you. Have a great week.